the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is The Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. All right, so the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, of course, argued before the United States Supreme Court today for almost two hours. The Solicitor General of the state of Mississippi argued on behalf of uh, the law of Mississippi, and uh, then there was an advocate for actually a um, an abortion provider who argued on behalf of Jackson's Women's Health Organization, as well as the Solicitor General of the United States, on behalf of the Biden administration, arguing for abortion. So here is the quick breakdown of what you need to know. First of all, abortion is not a right that is protected textually in the Constitution, period. And Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas drove home that point today when he asked the counsel who was arguing on behalf of really Roe versus Wade, uh, what right is really at issue here? Is it abortion, privacy, liberty, autonomy? He was saying, when I have a case in front of me that deals with the Second Amendment, uh, with gun rights, when it's uh, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, there's a tangible, articulable right that everybody knows what we're talking about. What right is really at issue here? And the counsel uh, who's defending Jackson's Women's Health Organization really didn't have a good response to that. Uh, She tried to argue, uh, Julie tried to argue that liberty, there is a liberty interest for women that is in the 14th Amendment. Justice Alito responded to that, I thought, brilliantly when he asked the question, okay, at the time that the 14th Amendment was ratified, because this was later uh, in about the 1860s, he said when uh, the 14th Amendment as part of the Reconstruction Amendments were ratified, uh, what state constitution or law specifically recognized the right to abortion in their constitutions as part of this so-called liberty interest? And she didn't have a response. And what that means is that the left is trying simply to shoehorn in a liberty interest, a privacy interest, some kind of of right that they say comes from this, you know, reading between the lines of the text of the Constitution, what they call the vast penumbra that covers everything. They're trying to read into the Constitution that somehow some other right covers women's interests in taking the life of the unborn child. They can't prove it based on the Constitution. There is no sound legal argument. And that was very evident in that today. So what right really is at issue? It is a leftist talking point to say that abortion is a right, is a constitutionally protected right, or is a constitutional right at all. So that was uh, that was one 
really significant argument. I thought overall the court asked the right questions. Um, I thought that the court really, in their arguments, it was very clear that the six conservative justices, and I'm I'm actually putting Justice Roberts into that category for purposes of today's arguments. He's a little unpredictable, but we have to remember he did write a great dissent that was fully in line with first principles with the U.S. Constitution in the Obergefell versus Hodges decision uh, that unfortunately went outside the margins of the Constitution. Um, it overturned the Lawrence versus Texas precedent and uh, upheld same-sex unions. He actually wrote a great dissent in that. So he's been uh, pretty, pretty well spot on in terms of upholding the Constitution when it comes to a lot of uh, these more of, of the liberal leftist um, sexual issues. And so for purposes of the six conservative justices, they asked all the right questions. It does appear to me that the six justices on the court, which of course would be Roberts, Clarence Thomas, Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, Justice Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett, uh, were in favor of, or at least seemed to be in favor of recognizing that an unborn child has its own interest in its own life, and also that the state has an interest in protecting that life. Um, so they asked all of the right questions. It was a really interesting argument. Um, and two additional points on that, on, on the argument that you need to be aware of. So the second major issue was this concept of stare decisis. Um, stare decisis is the the legal process or uh, or the the legal term for carrying on with precedent because attorneys, of course, value predictability in the law. The law shouldn't change on a political whim. Uh, the law is predictable and precedent matters. So when you're looking at whether or not to overturn a precedent, the principle of stare decisis generally says that the court should be inclined to follow its own precedent. That doesn't mean that it has to. And Justice Alito uh, very clearly and just hammered the Solicitor General for the United States at the end saying, are you saying that if there, um, it, there's no good reason to overturn precedent that we have to have some other new fact or new factor if there was just some egregiously decided opinion uh, in the past. And she tried to equivocate and get provide these kind of lengthy answers. And he said, yes or no, counsel? Yes or no? You know, can can we overturn this case? And the obvious answer to that constitutionally is yes, they can the left just doesn't want to acknowledge that. They they will acknowledge that and they'll even argue for it when it's a precedent that they don't like. And I guarantee you, if the Supreme Court comes back and there's a 6-3, 5-4, um, you know, whatever opinion it is that overturns or undermines Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, you better bet that they're going to come back and argue that that precedent is bad. So they will twist themselves into a pretzel and and politically couch their arguments in whatever is best to the outcome that they prefer. You know what we call that? Activism. They are not conservatives, meaning conserving the law and conserving the Constitution. And so the Solicitor General for Mississippi, I thought, did a great job in responding to the stare decisis key issue. Because he said, if there is an egregiously wrong precedent, of course the court should overturn that. And there is a whole litany of cases. Justice Kavanaugh went down the line 
of cases in America's history and past that were egregiously and erroneously decided in the moment they were decided. We didn't even need any more facts to change or the science uh, to be further developed or anything else. And one of the biggest examples that kept coming up was Plessy versus Ferguson. Of course, this was a an egregiously insane uh, ruling from the Supreme Court that basically said that the Constitution allows segregation laws. That was overturned about 50 years later, and we as the United States now, of course, uh, no one would argue that racial segregation that uh, is at, at detriment to minorities and specifically black Americans that Plessy was talking about uh, would be viable under any constitutional theory. Interestingly, the left is now saying that segregation is a good thing against white people, but you know that's that's a different conversation for another day. But clearly, nobody, nobody today disagrees that Plessy was a bad decision and should have been overturned. But the conversation in the United States about Roe versus Wade and abortion is still continuing. It is still political. But the Constitution hasn't changed. Have we amended the Constitution? Yes. Can we still amend the Constitution? Yes. But the rights that are God-given, that our Declaration acknowledges, are given by God that necessarily and textually include the right to life, those haven't changed. And so when you have an egregiously bad decision that in the moment it was decided needs to be overturned because it was just bad, of course, the Supreme Court has an obligation and responsibility to their oath under the Constitution to overturn that. So I thought that the Solicitor General for Mississippi uh, should have been more direct on that point. I thought he was a little bit too deferential to the court. Um, I don't know if this was the first time that he was arguing in front of the Supreme Court. I haven't ever argued in front of the Supreme Court, so I'm sure that it is a very, very high-pressure uh, situation. You want to be deferential, but at the same time, the best advice that I ever got from a judge I used to clerk for as an advocate. So he said, you know, the judge thinks that it's his courtroom and you come in and you have to be, you know, deferential. And of course there's respect for the bench and all of that. And you have, you know, these rules of professional responsibility, other things. And in even just the environment is very different when you're an advocate in front of the court. But he said to me, never forget, even though you're arguing in that judges or in this instance, the Supreme court justices courtroom, it is your case, it is your client, and you are the advocate. It is your courtroom at that moment. When you approach that lectern, it's your courtroom. And that's something that I think the Mississippi Solicitor General could have done a better job at. He should have been more direct on this third point that we're going to talk about, which is viability versus the U.S. Constitution. So the uh, the leftist advocates, the advocates for abortion, um, these two women really didn't have a good answer for viability. Viability, what does that mean? Well, that's really an arbitrary standard. And she admitted as much, um, uh, Julie, and, and I'm, the, the last name is escaping me right now, but um, Julie, who argued on behalf of Jackson's Women's Health Organization, she said that viability is the most workable solution because that's very easy to be scientifically measured. And viability is when an unborn child can survive outside of the womb. Well, we've actually seen many instances where with new medical technology that's uh, been created since 1973, that actually uh, unborn children have a better opportunity 
at a, an earlier and earlier stage of gestation. So to represent in front of the Supreme Court that somehow viability is this bright line standard that can never be moved and that's very scientifically discernible, that actually depends on the unborn child. It depends on the access to medical treatment. It depends on the science. In a couple more years, who knows what medical technology will have that at earlier and earlier stages of life, that the unborn child can actually survive outside the womb uh, with with uh, medical enhancements. And so uh, that's actually an absurd proposition that the SG for Mississippi didn't really directly answer in his rebuttal. Uh, but what would have been the answer and what I would have liked to see him argue is to stand up and say, that is a measurable line. And viability outside the womb depends on the science. It depends on the advances in medical technology. And the only bright line that scientifically never changes is the moment of conception. That is discernible. That's scientifically evident. That is what determines a pregnant mother versus a non-pregnant woman. That is something that will never change, regardless of advances in technology, regardless of when it's detectable by scientific advances. There is never any change between the moment of conception versus the moment before. That is the only bright line standard that can never change. And that would have been the best answer, in my opinion, to that. And that's what we need to continue advocating for. So viability being the quote unquote most workable solution is a legal argument that's trying to um, pretzel its way into bending over backwards and to just say, well, this is how it's always been. Therefore, it's how we, it should always be. Viability definitely changes just like the moment of quickening. Uh, that, this was this middle ages standard that a woman really knew that she was pregnant when she could feel the baby move in her womb. Um, obviously, medical advances to hear the heartbeat of a child, to see uh, via ultrasound the movement of the baby in the womb, even if the mother can't feel it. That's something that is also arbitrary and is dependent on when the woman arbitrarily can feel it. Uh, so all of these different standards that these leftists are trying to advocate for actually don't have any scientific meaning. They're rooted in philosophy. They're rooted just in the argument that the left wants abortion on demand to still be constitutionally protected, even though if they were intellectually honest, it's not. There's nowhere in the Constitution that provides for coverage of a woman to, for any reason, intentionally choose to kill the life of an innocent other person. And there is no argument whatsoever in criminal law, uh, theories in, um, in, in medical law, in anything that says that because a woman has sex, whether it's, it's rape or otherwise, that just because a woman has sex, even if she didn't choose that, that it is the unborn child that is providing the harm. We have never under U.S. law punished a third party for either the choice of the alleged victim for the woman, if she chose to have sex, that we punish a third party, or even if the woman was a victim of rape, incest, and th those are hideous crimes, and I'm not diminishing that, but the perpetrator of those crimes is the man that impregnated the woman, not the unborn child. We never in U.S. law punish a third party for the crimes of another person. 
or for the choices of another person. So this is where this whole viability versus the Constitution, there were a lot of different issues that were argued in front of the Supreme Court. But the bottom line here is what right is really at issue? The right to life is what is at issue. Stare decisis, the second point. We have a litany of cases from the U.S. Supreme Court that overturns egregiously decided opinions at the moment the bad decision was handed down. And viability is not the most workable standard. The moment of conception is the only thing that makes sense scientifically, makes sense legally, and makes sense constitutionally. But take heart, my friends, because I really think in listening to these arguments, talking to some of my good friends, um, I'm very blessed to have a number of, of great friends that uh, you know I was texting with and talking to as we were all listening to these arguments um, who are brilliant legal minds. And the consensus here is that we think this will be a big win. And I have to say, a big win in the U.S. Supreme Court is a huge, huge win for my former client, President Trump. And I told him today, I said, thank you, sir, for standing up for the right to life and for everything that you've done in this country, because he has been the greatest advocate in the American presidency, I think in the history of our country outside of the founders, that has stood up for life, that is willing to protect it, and this will be his greatest legacy because he was willing to stand up for life and also nominate and appoint justices that were willing to, at least what it appeared to me today, willing to recognize that the right to life for unborn children matters it's legally cognizable, and it's rooted and grounded not only in our history and tradition, but also in the U.S. Constitution. I really think that this case is going to show that Donald Trump's greatest legacy is going to be in the interests of life. And that, my friends, is something that we need to be praying for, we need to be hopeful for, we need to never stop advocating for, we need to totally disregard all of the people like Justice Sotomayor who was trying to say, oh, this is political, and then we'll bend and flex with the whims of who has ever on the court. Well, that's actually what the leftists advocate for. They've been advocating for court packing just so that the political whim can be achieved on their activism. No, we need to stand strongly as conservatives, conserving our rule of law, conserving the U.S. Constitution, and being thankful that we had a president for four years that was willing to stand up and champion life, and we need to go and continue to do the same. So we'll continue to monitor this case. I don't expect a decision until probably... Uh, late June, because the Supreme Court tends to hold their most controversial opinions. And certainly this one's going to be controversial either way, just because there are so many people who are very passionate about this subject. It's a perpetual debate in the United States. So we probably won't get an opinion until June. But uh, as soon as we do, we'll continue to cover that here on the Jenna Ellis Show. I'm going to be talking about this um, for the rest of this week, actually. Um, so definitely on the show tomorrow. I'm going to have my good friend, uh, Congressman Massey, on. Really excited for that tomorrow. But we're going to talk more about this case. It's the most important case, I think, in my lifetime and probably will be uh, still in our lifetimes because 
protecting the right to life matters. And so I'm joined now, very excited uh, to be joined now by my good friend from Colorado, Congressman Lamborn. And we're going to talk to him for a few minutes as to what this means in Congress, what this means to the right to life, and uh, get his reaction now. And joining me now on The Jenna Ellis Show is my good friend from my home state of Colorado, representing Colorado's 5th District, Congressman Doug Lamborn. Congressman, thank you so much for joining me today and also for your steadfast commitment to protecting life. Well, you're welcome, Jenna. It's good to talk with you. I remember meeting with you when you used to live in Colorado Springs, and uh, you're on to some great things, and so it's a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, I was working at the time for our good friend, uh, Dr. James Dobson, who's also been a steadfast advocate for life. And, you know, we've been talking on um, this program today about the Supreme Court arguments, of course, in the Dobbs case, um, all of the eyes of the world, but it's certainly the nation are on this case. And uh, what was your reaction to the arguments? Uh, Where do you think this case is headed? You know, that's a great question. I hope and pray Jenna, that this is a historic day, that this will be the turning point. Roe versus Wade was a horrible decision in, on so many levels. It was unconstitutional. It was immoral in, in that it put the lives of so many tens of millions of children at risk who were not yet been born and whose lives were ultimately taken through abortion. So I'm so happy that there's the possibility of overturning Roe versus Wade as of today's hearing. Yes, and I I think based on and, and as I said previously in the show, uh, I think that from just the line of questioning, it seems like a majority of the justices recognize that there is an interest in protecting the life of the unborn child, and that, that fetuses in the womb, children in the womb, have an interest in their own lives. And assuming, um, for sake of hypotheticals, as Justice Gorsuch uh, mentioned today to counsel congressman, so assuming that the court would undermine and overturn uh, Roe versus Wade, or at least um, to the extent that this becomes an issue debated in the state legislatures, the justices also mentioned Congress. So um, as a Congress member, what would you anticipate that debate to look like? Um, Is this a federal issue in your opinion that Congress could legislate on, or is it best reserved to state legislatures? And how do you expect that debate to go? We have progressives and liberals in Congress that want to make every single thing a federal issue. That's the wrong way to go. You have Washington dictating to all 50 states what they should do. In fact, their recent abortion, pro-abortion bill did exactly that, Jenna. It, it, it was so radical that it interfered with or changed the laws of all 50 states, even the most pro-abortion states like California, because they didn't go far enough. So we don't want Washington, for a host of reasons, to be calling the shots when it comes to abortion. Now, the flip side of that is when you do have the states in control of their own destiny, which by and large is usually a good principle, you're going to have some pro-abortion-minded states that will continue to allow for abortion to be legal. Uh, And you'll have some courageous and moral states that do the right thing and, let's say, limit it to an exception for the life of the mother uh, or something very narrowly defined. Uh, But then the people in those states could travel to another state for an abortion or through the mail, if it's available, get a uh, the pills for a chemical abortion. 
And, and Jenna, by the way, I have introduced legislation, the Second Chance at Life Act, saying that in the event of a chemical procedure where the woman is taking the two pills spaced some days apart, they can stop and change their mind in between those two and back out and suffer no harm to the fetus and stop the abortion from ever taking place. And, and the fetus would grow into a healthy baby uh, and, and for, for later life. So that, but, but people have to be informed of that uh, possibility. And right now, the abortion providers are generally concealing that from the people getting chemical abortions. Yeah, there's so much still to be done on the life front, even if, um, and I think and I hope and I pray that uh, that life will be successfully championed in the Supreme Court, and I think we won't get an opinion until probably uh, very, very late in the term in June. Uh, typically, the Supreme Court uh, will save their most controversial opinions until the very end, and then they go on vacation. Uh, but even if this is successful, and I hope that this argument is successful, and the Supreme Court gives this back to the states, I would anticipate that the Democrats in Congress are going to try to legislate on this immediately uh, and not respect that decision from the Supreme Court uh, challenging the state's authority on this issue. And so what, uh, what can average Americans who are listening to this program, people who are concerned about this, what can they do to, um, to help further this issue and champion life um, if it gets to that stage where Democrats are trying to raise this in Congress? Jenna, that's a great question. And, you know, if God allows we uh, the right thing happens by the Supreme Court and we do outlaw Roe versus Wade or overturn that decision, leaving it to the 50 states, we'll still have that battle for the hearts and minds of people around the country because there will still be people that want to uh, have everyone have an abortion that, 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 that even thinks of it, you know, up, up until the moment of, of birth uh, on demand for no reason or any reason whatsoever. Uh, sex selection or uh, disability or potential disability or whatever. So we still have to fight that battle. We still have to, Jenna, talk to our friends and neighbors. We still have to write letters to the editor. We still have to post on social media. We still have to carry the battle and make the case that life is precious. Every person deserves a shot at life. It's in the Constitution. And we're not going to be able to give up that battle, even if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Well, thank you so much, Congressman Lamborn, for your fight and for championing life and the Constitution. And you're absolutely right. This is a battle for our hearts and minds. This is a spiritual battle, really. And uh, hopefully we have made one great stride in America today with, uh, with this case. But there's still so much more, even if we are successful in this case and the Supreme Court does the right thing. Uh, the battle lines will just change. And so I think you're absolutely right that uh, we'll still continue have to raise it, to raise that flag for, uh, for life, for liberty, for truth. And thank you so much for your hard work and dedication in Congress, uh, Congressman Lamborn. And where can uh, people follow you? I follow you on Twitter, all social media, um, follow you and see the great work that you're doing in Congress, not just on behalf of Colorado, but also, um, of course, as a, as a member there and champion for truth. Lamborn.house.gov. And people can go to that website and there's all kinds of social media or options for people to 
email or leave messages. Let me mention one last thing, Jenna, if I could. Uh, Today, as it turns out, on this very day, I am introducing the Recognizing the Unborn Act. Recognizing the Unborn Act replaces the word fetus everywhere in the federal code with the phrase unborn child. We want to humanize the what we how we denominate those who are not yet born. The uh, left wants to dehumanize those who are not yet born. We want to humanize and give them the proper dignity that the unborn deserve. So unborn child is a better way to address them in the federal code, and that's what this bill would do. That's fantastic, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the left harnesses words, they manipulate it, they want to have the cognitive dissonance and say, well, this is just a clump of cells, it's a fetus, but saying unborn child is actually more scientifically accurate, and so, you know, if we go along with this whole trust the science you know, kind of exactly. stuff that the left is pushing, exactly. we should be doing this. That's, That's right. That's a great bill. Well, thank you so much, Congressman, for your time. Really appreciate it, and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.